Book Four, Part Two of the Aeneid. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philippa Jevons. The Aeneid by Publius Virgilius Maro, translated by John Dryden. Book Four: The Passion of the Queen, Part Two. What pangs the tender breast of Dido bore, When from the tower she saw the covered shore, And heard the shouts of sailors from afar Mixed with the murmurs of the watery war. All-powerful love, what changes canst thou cause In human hearts subjected to thy laws? Once more her haughty soul the tyrant bends To prayers and mean submission she descends, no female arts or age she left untried, nor counsels unexplored, before she died. Look, Anna, look, the Trojans crowd to sea, they spread their canvas and their anchors weigh. The shouting crew their ships with garlands bind, invoke the sea-gods and invite the wind. Could I have thought this threatening blow so near, my tender soul had been forewarned to bear. But do not you my last request deny, With yon perfidious man your interest try, And bring me news, if I must live or die. You are his favourite, you alone can find The dark recesses of his inmost mind. In all his trusted secrets you have part, And know the soft approaches to his heart. Haste, then, and humbly seek my haughty foe. Tell him, I did not with the Grecians go. Nor did my fleet against his friends employ, Nor swore the ruin of unhappy Troy, Nor moved with hands profane his father's dust. Why should he then reject a suit so just? Whom does he shun? And whither would he fly? Can he this last, this only prayer deny? Let him at least his dangerous flight delay, Wait better winds and hope a calmer sea, the nuptials, he disclaims, I urge no more. Let him pursue the promised Latian shore. A short delay is all I ask him now. A pause of grief, an interval from woe. Till my soft soul be tempered to sustain accustomed sorrows and inured to pain. If you in pity grant this one request, my death shall glut the hatred of his breast. This mournful message pious Anna bears, And seconds with her own her sister's tears. But all her arts are still employed in vain. Again she comes, and is refused again. His hardened heart nor prayers nor threatenings move. Fate and the God had stopped his ears to love. As when the winds their airy quarrel tried, Jostling from every quarter of the sky, this way and that the mountain oak they bend, His boughs they shatter and his branches rend, With leaves and falling mast they spread the ground, The hollow valleys echo to the sound. Unmoved the royal plant their fury mocks, Or, shaken, clings more closely to the rocks, For as he shoots his towering head on high, So deep in earth his fixed foundations lie. No less a storm... The Trojan hero bears. Thick messages and loud complaints he hears, And bandied words still beating on his ears. Sighs, groans, and tears proclaim his inward pains, But the firm purpose of his heart 
remains. The wretched queen, pursued by cruel fate, begins at length the light of heaven to hate and loathes to live. Then dire portents she sees to hasten on the death her soul decrees. Strange to relate, for when, before the shrine, she pours in sacrifice the purple wine, the purple wine is turned to putrid blood, and the white offered milk converts to mud. This dire presage to her alone revealed, from all and even her sister she concealed. A marble temple stood within the grove, sacred to death and to her murdered love, that honoured chapel she had hung around with snowy fleeces and with garlands crowned. Oft, when she visited this lonely dome, strange voices issued from her husband's tomb. She thought she heard him summon her away, invite her to his grave and chide her stay. Hourly it is heard, when with a boding note the solitary screech-owl strains her throat and on a chimney's top or turret's height with songs obscene disturbs the silence of the night. Besides, old prophecies augment her fears, and stern Aeneas in her dreams appears, disdainful as by day. She seems alone to wander in her sleep through ways unknown, guideless and dark, or in a desert plain to seek her subjects and to seek in vain. Like Pentheus, when, distracted with his fear, he saw two sons and double Thebes appear, or mad Orestes when his mother's ghost full in his face infernal torches tossed and shook her snaky locks. He shuns the sight, flies o'er the stage, surprised with mortal fright. The furies guard the door and intercept his flight. Now, sinking underneath a load of grief, from death alone she seeks her last relief. The time and means resolved within her breast, she to her mournful sister thus addressed, dissembling hope, her cloudy front she clears, and a false vigour in her eyes appears. Rejoice, she said, instructed from above, my lover I shall gain or lose my love. Nigh rising Atlas, next the falling sun, long tracts of Ethiopian climates run. There a Massilian priestess I have found, honoured for age, for magic arts renowned. The Hesperian temple was her trusted care, t'was she supplied the wakeful dragon's fare. She poppy-seeds in honey taught to steep, reclaimed his rage, and soothed him into sleep. She watched the golden fruit. Her charms unbind the chains of love, or fix them on the mind. She stops the torrents, leaves the channel dry, repels the stars and backwards bears the sky. The yawning earth rebellows to her call, pale ghosts ascend and mountain ashes fall. Witness, ye gods, and thou my better part, how loath I am to try this impious art. Within the secret court, with silent care, erect a lofty pile exposed in air, Hang on the topmost part the Trojan vest, spoils, arms, and presents of my faithless guest. Next, under those, the bridal bed be placed, where I my ruin in his arms embraced. All relics of the wretch are doomed to fire, for so the priestess and her charms require. Thus far she said, and farther speech forbears. A mortal paleness in her face appears. 
Yet the mistrustless Anna could not find the secret funeral in these rites designed, nor thought so dire a rage possessed her mind. Unknowing of a train concealed so well, she feared no worse than when Sichaeus fell, therefore obeys. The fatal pile they rear within the secret court, exposed in air. The cloven holms and pines are heaped on high, and garlands on the hollow spaces lie. Sad cypress, vervain, you compose the wreath, and every baleful green denoting death. The queen, determined to the fatal deed, the spoils and sword he left in order spread, and the man's image on the nuptial bed. And now, the sacred altars placed around, the priestess enters, with her hair unbound, and thrice invokes the powers below the ground, night, Erebus, and chaos, she proclaims, and threefold Hecate with her hundred names, and three Dianas. Next she sprinkles round with feigned Avernian drops the hallowed ground, culls hoary simples found by Phoebe's light with brazen sickles reaped at noon of night, then mixes baleful juices in the bowl, and cuts the forehead of a newborn foal, robbing the mother's love. The destined queen observes, assisting at the rites obscene. A leavened cake in her devoted hands she holds, and next the highest altar stands. One tender foot was shod, the other bare. Girt was her gathered gown and loose her hair. Thus dressed, she summoned with her dying breath the heavens and planets conscious of her death, and every power, if any rules above, who minds or who revenges injured love. T'was dead of night, when weary bodies close their eyes in balmy sleep and soft repose. The winds no longer whisper through the woods, nor murmuring tides disturb the gentle floods. The stars in silent order moved around, and peace with downy wings was brooding on the ground. The flocks and herds and party-coloured fowl which haunt the woods or swim the weedy pool, stretched on the quiet earth, securely lay, forgetting the past labours of the day. All else of nature's common gift partake. Unhappy Dido was alone awake. Nor sleep nor ease the furious queen can find. Sleep fled her eyes as quiet fled her mind. Despair and rage and love divide her heart. Despair and rage had some, but love the greater part. Then thus she said within her secret mind, What shall I do, what succour can I find? Become a suppliant to Yarba's pride, And take my turn to court and be denied? Shall I with this ungrateful Trojan go, Forsake an empire and a tender foe? Himself I refuged, and his train relieved, tis true, but am I sure to be received? Can gratitude in Trojan souls have place? Laomedon still lives in all his race. Or shall I seek alone the churlish crew, or with my fleet their flying sails pursue? What force have I but those whom scarce before I drew reluctant from their native shore? Will they again embark at my desire, once more sustain the seas, and quit their second tire? Rather with steel thy guilty breast invade, and take the fortune thou thyself hast made. 
Your pity, sister, first seduced my mind, or seconded too well what I designed. These dear-bought pleasures had I never known, had I continued free and still my own, avoiding love. I had not found despair, but shared with savage beasts the common air, like them, a lonely life I might have led, not mourned the living, nor disturbed the dead. These thoughts she brooded in her anxious breast. On board the Trojan found more easy rest. Resolved to sail, in sleep he passed the night, and ordered all things for his early flight. To whom once more the winged god appears. His former youthful mien and shape he wears, and with this new alarm invades his ears. Sleep'st thou, O goddess born? And canst thou drown thy needful cares so near a hostile town, beset with foes? Nor hear'st the western gales invite thy passage and inspire thy sails? She harbours in her heart a furious hate, and thou shalt find the dire effects too late, fixed on revenge and obstinate to die. Haste swiftly hence whilst thou hast power to fly. The sea with ships will soon be covered o'er, and blazing firebrands kindle all the shore. Prevent her rage while night obscures the skies, and sail before the purple morn arise. Who knows what hazards thy delay may bring? Woman's a various and a changeful thing. Thus Hermes in the dream, then took his flight aloft in air unseen and mixed with night. Twice warned by the celestial messenger, the pious prince arose with hasty fear, then roused his drowsy train without delay. Haste to your banks, your crooked anchor's way, and spread your flying sails and stand to sea. A god commands. He stood before my sight and urged us once again to speedy flight. O oh, sacred power, what power soe'er thou art, to thy blessed orders I resign my heart. Lead thou the way, protect thy Trojan bands, and prosper the design thy will commands. He said, and drawing forth his flaming sword, his thundering arm divides the many-twisted cord. An emulating zeal inspires his train, they run, they snatch, they rush into the main. With headlong haste they leave the desert shores, and brush the liquid seas with labouring oars. Aurora now had left her saffron bed, and beams of early light the heavens o'erspread, when from a tower the queen with wakeful eyes saw day point upward from the rosy skies. She looked to seaward, but the sea was void, and scarce in ken the sailing ships descried. Stung with despite and furious with despair, she struck her trembling breast and tore her hair. "'And shall the ungrateful traitor go?' she said, my land forsaken and my love betrayed. Shall we not arm, not rush from every street, to follow, sink, and burn his perjured fleet? Haste, haul my galleys out, pursue the foe, bring flaming brands, set sail and swiftly row. What have I said? Where am I? Fury turns my brain and my distempered bosom burns. Then, when I gave my person and my throne, this hate, this rage, had been more timely shown. See now the promised faith, the vaunted name, the pious man who, rushing through the flame, preserved his gods, and to the Phrygian shore the burthen of his feeble father bore. 
I should have torn him piecemeal, strode in floods his scattered limbs, or left exposed in woods, destroyed his friends and son, and from the fire have set the reeking boy before the sire. Events are doubtful which on battles wait, yet where's the doubt to souls secure of fate? My Tyrians at their injured queen's command had tossed their fires amid the Trojan band, at once extinguished all the faithless name, and I myself, in vengeance of my shame, had fallen upon the pile to mend the funeral flame. Thou, son, who viewst at once the world below, thou Juno, guardian of the nuptial vow, thou Hecate, hearken from thy dark abodes, ye furies, fiends, and violated gods, all powers invoked with Dido's dying breath, Attend her curses and avenge her death. If so the fates ordain, and Jove commands, The ungrateful wretch should find the Latian lands. Yet let a race untamed and haughty foes His peaceful entrance with dire arms oppose. Oppressed with numbers in the unequal field, His men discouraged and himself expelled, Let him for succour sue from place to place, "'torn from his subjects and his son's embrace. First, let him see his friends in battle slain "'and their untimely fate lament in vain. "'And when at length the cruel war shall cease, "'on hard conditions may he buy his peace. "'Nor let them then enjoy supreme command, "'but fall untimely by some hostile hand "'and lie unburied on the barren sand.' These are my prayers, and this my dying will, and you, my Tyrians, every curse fulfil. Perpetual hate and mortal wars proclaim against the prince, the people, and the name. These grateful offerings on my grave bestow, nor league nor love the hostile nations know. Now and from hence, in every future age, when rage excites your arms and strength supplies the rage, rise some avenger of our Libyan blood. With fire and sword pursue the perjured brood. Our arms, our seas, our shores opposed to theirs, and the same hate descend on all our heirs. This said within her anxious mind, she weighs the means of cutting short her odious days. Then to Sicaeus' nurse she briefly said, for when she left her country hers was dead, Go, Barke, call my sister. Let her care the solemn rites of sacrifice prepare, the sheep and all the atoning offerings bring. Sprinkling her body from the crystal spring with living drops, then let her come, and thou with sacred fillets bind thy hoary brow. Thus will I pay my vows to Stygian Jove and end the cares of my disastrous love. Then cast the Trojan image on the fire, and as that burns my passions shall expire. The nurse moves onward, with officious care, and all the speed her aged limbs can bear. But furious Dido, with dark thoughts involved, shook at the mighty mischief she resolved. With livid spots distinguished was her face, red were her rolling eyes, and discomposed her pace. Ghastly she gazed, with pain she drew her breath, and nature shivered at approaching death. Then swiftly to the fatal place she passed, and mounts the funeral pile with furious haste, unsheathed the sword the Trojan left behind, 
not for so dire an enterprise designed. But when she viewed the garments loosely spread which once he wore, and saw the conscious bed, she paused, and with a sigh the robes embraced. Then on the couch her trembling body cast, repressed the ready tears, and spoke her last. Dear pledges of my love, while heaven so pleased, receive a soul of mortal anguish eased. My fatal course is finished, and I go, a glorious name, among the ghosts below. A lofty city by my hands is raised, Pygmalion punished, and my lord appeased. What could my fortune have afforded more, had the false Trojan never touched my shore? Then kissed the couch, and, Must I die, she said, and unrevenged, "'Tis doubly to be dead. "'Yet even this death with pleasure I receive. "'On any terms, tis better than to live. "'These flames from far may the false Trojan view, "'these boding omens his base flight pursue.' "'She said and struck. "'Deep entered in her side the piercing steel, "'with reeking purple dyed.' Clogged in the wound the cruel weapon stands, The spouting blood came streaming on her hands. Her sad attendants saw the deadly stroke, And with loud cries the sounding palace shook. Distracted from the fatal sight they fled, And through the town the dismal rumour spread. First from the frighted court the yell began, Redoubled thence from house to house it ran, the groans of men with shrieks, laments, and cries of mixing women mount the vaulted skies. Not less the clamour than if ancient Tyre or the new Carthage set by foes on fire, the rolling ruin with their loved abodes involved the blazing temples of their gods. Her sister hears, and furious with despair, she beats her breast and rends her yellow hair and, calling on Eliza's name aloud, runs breathless to the place, and breaks the crowd. Was all that pomp of woe for this prepared? These fires, this funeral pile, these altars reared? Was all this train of plots contrived, said she, all only to deceive unhappy me? Which is the worst? Didst thou in death pretend to scorn thy sister or delude thy friend? Thy summoned sister and thy friend had come. One sword had served us both, one common tomb. Was I to raise the pile the powers invoke, not to be present at the fatal stroke? At once thou hast destroyed thyself and me, thy town, thy senate, and thy colony. Bring water, bathe the wound, while I in death lay close my lips to hers and catch the flying breath. This said, she mounts the pile with eager haste, and in her arms the gasping queen embraced. Her temples chafed, and her own garments tore to staunch the streaming blood and cleanse the gore. Thrice Dido tried to raise her drooping head, and fainting thrice fell grovelling on the bed. Thrice oped her heavy eyes and sought the light, but having found it, sickened at the sight and closed her lids at last in endless night. Then Juno, 
grieving that she should sustain a death so lingering and so full of pain, sent Iris down to free her from the strife of labouring nature and dissolve her life. For since she died, not doomed by heaven's decree, of her own crime, but human casualty and rage of love that plunged her in despair, the sisters had not cut the topmost hair which Proserpine and they can only know, nor made her sacred to the shades below. Downward the various goddess took her flight, and drew a thousand colours from the light, then stood above the dying lover's head, and said, I thus devote thee to the dead, this offering to the infernal gods I bear. Thus while she spoke, she cut the fatal hair. The struggling soul was loosed, and life dissolved in air. End of Book Four